In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All of us have been to parties before, be they weddings, birthday celebrations, retirement parties, maybe even college graduation parties. Some we have attended as guests, and some of them we may have even been involved in hosting or planning the party. Depending on the size and the occasion of the celebration, there's sometimes a concern that lingers in the back of the mind, at least in my mind, when we're planning or preparing for a celebration. And those concerns work this way. Do we have enough? Will there be enough food? Will there be enough drink? Will there be enough so that everybody can have plenty? Early in St. John's Gospel, we have a story of Jesus and his disciples attending a wedding in Cana, which is in the southern part of Galilee. Also at the wedding is the mother of Jesus. And this is just a note because you might find this interesting. John never names Mary as the mother of Jesus. He always simply refers to Mary as the mother of Jesus. So we never hear Mary's name. But... Mary, or in this case, as John would say, the mother of Jesus is at this wedding. And there is a problem. And the problem is this. They have run out of wine. A social faux pas at best, an insult to the guests at worst. But that's not the point of the story. Jesus doesn't swoop in, change water into wine and save the day. There's something much more important, both at work in what Jesus has done, and also something important for us to understand from John about who Jesus is. To understand what John is saying, we need to start at the end, the last verse in our gospel passage this morning. John relates that this is the first sign And John is very specific about signs. Jesus just doesn't perform miracles in John's gospel. What Jesus does is give us markers or signposts that show not only the readers, but also the characters in the stories that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And the signs that Jesus gives, I'm sorry, the signs that John gives us show the glory of God through Jesus. And it's also important to understand that John's use of the phrase, this is the first sign, is not meant so much as a numerical ordering of the signs, like this is the first, this is the second, now on to the third, ending with the seventh, but that this is a designator. This is the beginning. It was here in this gospel according to St. John that Jesus began his ministry. This is the first time God's glory is revealed in his Son. So, what is so glorifying about changing water into wine? It doesn't seem nearly as useful as feeding 5,000 people with bread and fish or the healing of a centurion's daughter? Or what about raising Lazarus from the dead? Those are important, 
and certainly more gratifying than some sort of metamorphosing of water at a molecular level than having it become wine. Well, the clues are all in the story. And there are many different aspects to the story we could focus on, like the conversation between Jesus and his mother, or the steward telling the bridegroom that the best wine is being served at the end. But today, I want us to look closely, not at the people involved, but at the inanimate object used to display God's glory. I want us to look at the purification jars. Washing hands before meals is important. We, especially now during this pandemic, have all relearned the importance of washing hands and keeping our environments clean. And the Jewish rituals requiring those practices to be rendered clean or to be considered clean are both physical and spiritual. That is part of this whole clean and unclean status that we keep bumping into in the Gospels and in the letters and in the Old Testament. So while it might not be all that unusual to have basins and tubs set aside for washing, there is something strange about these jars. First is their size, about 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And second is the number of them. There are six jars. Now, if we peel back John's writing and metaphor here, we begin to remember a few things. Six is the number of incompletion. It is a number that in the Hebrew Scriptures points to some task not being finished, not being complete, not being whole. Seven is the number of perfection, completion, wholeness. And there are six jars. And John is suddenly pointing them out to us as symbols about the incomplete nature of something. What could it be? Well, if we take another layer off and peel back another layer a little further, we realize that these six jars are part of the established practicing of the law, of Torah. The jars have a ritualistic nature to them and are used in one's practice of keeping Torah, keeping the law of God. So, six jars used for purification rites while practicing Torah. And we see John the Evangelist to give us another clue, a symbol that we can understand. And he is telling us that the law of Moses is incomplete. But there's more. These jars are made of stone, not of clay. And stone jars, because of their nature, they are stone are never unclean, never unwholesome. Clay jars could be rendered unclean if the wrong food or the wrong drink was placed in them, but not stone jars. Nothing in them or about them is rendered unclean. 
So we have six stone jars used for the purification ritual that are ritually clean, but somehow incomplete. And as we peel back another layer, we realize part of what John is trying to help us grasp, that the law in and of itself is good, is clean, but it is not whole. It lacks something. Now, Jesus just doesn't go over to the jars and wave his hands over them and the water becomes wine. Jesus has to do something first. Jesus must tell the servants to fill the jars because the jars are empty. They are not being used. They are empty vessels waiting to be filled, waiting to be put to their intended purpose, waiting for a gift, if you will. Jesus speaking, and remember that John describes Jesus in the opening chapter as the Word. Jesus speaking to the servants to fill these jars sets into motion a chain reaction of events that leads to the glorification of God. Six incomplete, empty vessels used for rites of purification to fulfill the law of Moses made out of stone that is clean and pure and filled at the command of the Son of God with water reaching up to the brim, almost overflowing, becomes a symbol for us. And this is the exciting part, the core of everything we have peeled back. What John is telling us And what all this symbolism and all this intrigue is about is that when Jesus breaks into this world, when he brings with him the fullness of God, the glory of God, and he gives us grace upon grace, or as some translations say, gift upon gift, then the six incomplete empty stone jars, which represent all the law, all the prophets, All of the writings that have come and point to this Messiah. And now that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, has come to dwell among us, He fills and fulfills the law. He sets everything to its intended purpose. And when that happens... What is put into those jars changes from something common and ordinary like water into something rich and unique and causes us to celebrate like the best possible wine. And wine in the prophets, particularly in Amos, is a symbol of God's promises being fulfilled. And that Israel is in the process of being restored and being made whole. And that in that restoration, the glory of God will shine forth. The other thing to note is that the abundance of wine 
the near limitless supply. Think about having a party with about 180 gallons of wine. It seems almost inexhaustible. Not only is it the very best wine, but there is an endless supply because Jesus fills us wholly with his spirit and his presence. Jesus coming into this world fills all of creation, not just small portions of it here and there, but the entire universe becomes charged with his presence. In just a little while, we will be having our annual meeting. And during that meeting, we will have reports. We will vote on a few items that need action. And we will celebrate a meal together, uh, uh, una fiesta grande with our Mexican-themed enchiladas and salsa. And I really don't know what else every, everybody else brought. But while we're in that meeting, while we're having that grand fiesta, I want you to think about these jars, these empty vessels, and ask the questions that you in your mind are led to. They might be, what are the vessels that need to be filled in my life? What are the vessels that I see around this area that need to be filled with water? so Jesus can act. What are the things that this parish can do, must do, to obey without question the commands of Jesus to go and fill empty vessels? These six jars of purification are so many things. They are the nation of Israel awaiting the Messiah. They are the entire world being changed by the love of Christ. They are the one holy Catholic and apostolic church transformed from a group of sinners who are dead in sin to saints who are alive in Christ. These jars, empty and not being used, are us before we come to know the faith and trust and love of Christ who then gives us the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And these jars used for rituals and rites are this parish filled with water and waiting for someone to realize that Jesus has transformed it into the best wine, into the best gift that this area could ever be given. And the people around us, and just across the street there, and down Broadway, and the neighbors who live next door to us, literally, or down the street, they're like the steward who very may well recognize that this wine is the best wine, but they do not yet understand where it comes from. Each of us must fill the vessels of our lives with what Jesus commands us to be filled with. And the same is true of this parish and of this diocese and of the Anglican communion as a whole. We must be filled with what Jesus tells us to fill the vessels with and not what we want to 
or wish to be filled with. Prayer, the knowledge of Scripture, the understanding of how we serve others in Christ's name, coming together regularly, weekly, sometimes several times a week, are ways that we not only fill, but learn to fill our lives with water that Jesus can transform, that Jesus can change into what is needed at this point in time and in an abundance that never ends. It isn't about being dour or or gloomy or overtly solemn. That's not the demeanor that Jesus demands, but rather a life that looks forward with expectation and joy and celebration. Notice that this transformation of water and wine was at a wedding celebration. Give our blessed Lord your heart whether it is empty or full right now. If it's empty because of pain and grief, depression or worry, if you're just tired and worn out and don't think you can go another day, give it over to Jesus, all of it. And let him fill your heart with good things, with hope and joy and peace and freedom from anxiety. And if your heart is already full, if it's already whole, then let Jesus transform it, change it from water into sweet and precious wine to be used in this world and for his glory. As Christ changed water into wine, may each of our own lives and the life of this parish also be changed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.